Hi, this is the Zane Lowe Interviews on Apple Podcasts, and I'm Zane Lowe. Zane Lowe, Apple Music. If you want to go into battle, you just, you know, you want, you want the chicks. You want the chicks right there. You want three incredibly strong, talented, very brave, very honest human beings who don't shy away from their beliefs and are willing to take the heat. In 2003, I mean, barely five years in the job, Natalie Maines took to the stage in London and declared her political stance on President Bush's decision to go to war in Iraq. It was short, sharp, and to the point, and what followed had a tail. Man, did it have a tail. For years, Dixie Chicks paid all kinds of prices for standing up for what they believe in. But what came out of it was a triumphant album produced by Rick Rubin, which went on to win five Grammy Awards and once again established chicks as writers and artists to be in legendary status. So what do you do once you claw yourself back from this potential public drubbing and create one of the best albums of your career? Well, if you ask them, you get your priorities in check. They disappeared from public life for the most part and focused on raising families. Various projects, solo and separated, came out, but there was nothing from the chicks. Until this year, on March 4th, when we got the first piece of music from their new album called Gaslight of the title track. A week later, America went into isolation and the global pandemic was a reality. And from there, we've been watching the chicks pivot, adapt and move consciously and as always thoughtfully to make the right decisions to reflect what's going on outside. We get to this point now. Yes, we've been calling them the chicks the whole time because that is their name with this album Gaslighter, which is an incredible, very personal and honest reflection on love lost and rebuilding family. It is for anyone who's had their heart broken and specifically anyone who's been a part of a divorce scenario. My parents divorced when I was young. An incredible body of work that at times is difficult to listen to, but ultimately at the end, incredibly rewarding. So getting a chance to talk to the chicks from isolation about this album. The question is, how deep can you go into the songs? And what I realized very quickly was, let's find out. And what I worried was going to be a fairly guarded and defensive conversation turned out to be really loose, really fun, full of laughs, and just the right amount of depth and emotional analysis about songs that really don't need to be picked apart because trust me, it's all in the lyrics. So thank you for joining me right here at the Zane Lowe series once again for another conversation, this time with Emily, Marty, and Natalie. The chicks. I'm excited to see you. I'm so happy that you've taken the time to speak to me about this incredible, remarkable new album about life and um, the world we live in right now. And it's great to see you. The chicks. Yes. Thanks it for having me. Thank you. Does it sound good? Does it sound totally normal? I mean, it was probably normal in your head before you even announced it and made the decision. But it takes a second when you've lived with something for a while. Like when people go, it's the chicks. Yeah. Like it just feels normal now, right? Yeah. You know, I actually thought about that. I was wondering or. Are, am I going to slip up or are they going to slip up and accidentally so glad say you Dixie said that. Chicks? But honestly... Better not be me. <laughs> but we haven't. I'm surprised. Because I do think we always referred to ourselves as the chicks for we a long did. time. I was doing like video liners the other day and I just kept going Dixie Chicks. I was like, damn it. Like, oh. I, had to keep going, I had to keep going over and doing it again. It was like pre-taped. It takes a second. It takes a yeah. second. Well, it's going to take well, listen, a second. I'm going to do over here because the first time that we actually met was on March the 4th. And um, I was lucky enough to speak to you. I think I might have been the first person to speak to you in some time about Gaslighter. And yeah. one of you mentioned that. It might have been you, Emily, mentioned that very early on in the conversation. Like, well, this is the first thing we've done in like, I don't know, 14 years. 
and I just slipped out. Like I went into a total tailspin, lost all my training and completely <laughs> lost the whole zone and was just like, duh, 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 because it felt like such a moment and I wasn't prepared for that, for that statement. I also, and I guess none of us were prepared for what happened, certainly in California and around the world a week later. I feel like that might've been one of the last interviews I did with anybody in the Beats One studio and the whole world mm. has tipped upside down since then. And America is going through a lot and you're a proud American band who loves the good side of America. And, you know, I guess the first question, just diving straight in and wasting no time um, for anybody in the group is what does America feel like right now? What is it going through? And it can be a hopeful answer as much as it could be a painful one, you know? So I guess every state's different. I don't know. I haven't left my house since uh, March 11th, so I don't know what's going on out there other than uh, what's on TV. But um, personally, I'm just tired of all the mixed messaging. You know, people's lives are at stake. It's ridiculous Mm. that politics Mm. is being played. it's, It's so frustrating and disgusting. If I had to pick one word, I'd say just divided. You know, this is where this should have united us in one purpose. Uh, It's definitely, once again, been politicized, like she said, and just we're divided. What is challenging as a parent, and and my wife and I have a 14-year-old and a a little boy who's nearly 12. And so the, the conversations are real now. Um, you know, you can't protect kids after a certain point, you know, you owe it to them to try to talk to them openly about stuff and tell them the truth. And there's so much going on in the house right now. You know, you can't be distracted. You can't distract yourselves. You're faced with those questions and those, and those answers, um, all the time. How are you guys finding that? Because it's definitely a challenge for me as a parent to try to keep the equilibrium and the balance positive through these challenging times, but equally not shy away from the truth. Right. Well, uh, do you allow them to watch the news? Like, how do they get their information other than hearing adults talking about things? First of all, their peer-to-peer level of information sharing is through the roof, as you know, because, I mean, the amount Mm -hmm. of information that kids get through devices now, even if you try to limit it, they can do a lot in a short amount of time. We have the news on. We certainly don't protect them from what we watch or what we expose ourselves to. There are certain things, Mm -hmm. obviously, we don't allow them to see, but we try to do it in a controlled way. I'm encouraged by this generation. I mean, I feel like my kids know a lot about more about current events than I did when I was their age. And I Mm. do think even if they're getting it through parody, you know, like a Dave Chappelle show or whatever they're doing, they're they're kind of smarter and they, they like to watch that stuff. Emily, do you remember the stack of encyclopedias in our house? We always had, we had this room with this, it was probably in the living room, with this stack of encyclopedias and learning how, okay, A through D, and then, you know, and you had to literally, I'm dating us totally, but you had to literally look, flip pages and look something up and hope that there was something Do you remember on the how we never actually opened this? <laughs> I was going to say, which one of you is going to break cover and admit you never looked at those books ever? Come on. I know Marty's, Marty's acting like, like she was just Marty's studying all. Like, I was already doing, oh, I was Do you remember that? What are you Monday through about, Friday, Emily? we were in that library all the time. Do you remember? <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. I'm buying I mean, it. I don't do much reading. I just read all the volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica, (laughs) cover to cover. Okay, Ron Burgundy, calm down. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. No, it's true. I mean, you know, the information is far more forthcoming. And, um, and, and I think that the desire for youth to, to, to be exposed to transparency and honesty is really important. You're a band that's never shied away from that. And you're also a band that strikes me as not wanting to put music out as a trio. 
separating all other projects and other experiences to one mm-hmm. side, but as a trio, unless you have something significant to say. Is that a fair assumption? I do think it would be hard to, uh, you know, go back to not writing about uh, your life as much as we have in the last two albums, but I wouldn't say that's why we took the break. Um, it was more to parent and let our kids, you know, have their lives and not be based around our careers, um, you know, because they can't even be on sports teams or whatever if they have to, you know, follow us around or get dragged around. Drive themselves <laughs> at the age of six. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, I get it. It's just that few artists have the courage or at least the self-awareness around them to make that call. You know, a lot of artists, when they have success, they get swept up in it and there's a fear that kicks in. of What if I lose it? What if my audience don't care about me if I take this extended break? Was there ever any doubt in any of your minds, even though you ultimately made the decision? Were there questions at the time? It just bothered me that people were saying, oh, why did you break up? Or I'm glad you're back together because we never broke up. And I think we always say there's strength in numbers. So I always felt like, okay, if Nat's doing good, Nemi's doing good, I'm fine. You know, Um, I knew that we would always be making music together. That was just a gut feeling. So no, it didn't, it felt a little scary the first few years. I feel like Emily and I were calling Natalie every day going, are you ready now? Are you ready now? (laughs) Can we do something now? Um, But then we just kind of settled into maybe exploring other things. I mean, we don't have college degrees. You know, I wasn't thinking like, oh gosh, I'm going to have to go get back and get my degree. I was thinking, well, I can just write more songs for other people or you just pivot, you pivot. Yeah, the timing was great. I mean, in, in the sense that you had some security and you had you had those things that you worry about as a young artist, just can I continue to do this? You had some some runway to to move through. But when you walk away from an industry, which is, it can be all-consuming, even for the most present individual, it can be an all-consuming experience. It demands a lot. The music business mm-hmm. just demands a lot of artists yeah. to achieve your kind of success. What does that look like from the outside? Being one of the few artists I've spoken to that took a significant and willing break decided they wanted to walk away and are now back. What did that industry that you dedicated yourself to for so long actually look like at times (laughs) during that space? I'd love to know. Well, from the last album that we promoted, of course we went on tours, but until now, it's the immediacy of information and uh, social media has definitely ramped up since we've done this last. And so like we're used to like taking a bunch of pictures and then you just kind of hand them out, servicing different people. And now it's like, we need a picture tomorrow and it has to be exclusive. And we're like, wait, what? <laughs> and you have to be at home and shoot it yourself. And you're like, oh. like, Yeah, and it's like, hi, I'm Sarah. I'm going to be your social media strategist and I'm going to be here all the time. And we're like, we're used to some smoke and mirrors. Yeah, no, that's true. And there's been a lot of developments and there's been a lot of, um, I mean, I think artist to fan interaction is more direct than ever now. And the most successful artists recognize the value in that conversation. Um, but there's also parts of the of the industry and parts of any industry in every walk of life right now that we're trying to root out. There's malignancies and there's all kinds of, you know, terrible sort of like imbalances that just kind of got went without being discussed or really focused on. And so you must have really seen that too. With the, with the benefit of distance, it must have been a lot more clear than when you're in the room and it's right in front of your face, right? Because that distance makes a difference. I don't know. I kind of feel like we've always just kind of done what we do and not overanalyze it. We know our own limitations Mm. And what we're willing to do and not willing to do. I, it's hard to see behind other people's curtains sometimes and, and know what they're dealing with or how they're doing it. 
Do you still feel like you're outliers? Like you reach enough people in the middle of the room, but, you, but you're more comfortable sort of walking and talking in the fringe a bit and taking risks in that regard? Yeah, we definitely have never been, you know, industry movers and shakers and showing up or like, I don't know, that thirsty or <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> we just yeah. um, have always been very comfortable just doing what we do. And we have faith in our fans that they get it. I mean, I think since the beginning, we had a connection with fans that the label, radio, like people didn't get. You know, the label didn't want banjo on Wide Open Spaces and didn't even want Wide Open Spaces to be a single. And we had to really fight for what we knew was a connection with people that were like us and that it would be okay. And we really had to um, have faith in ourselves that we got our audience and our audience got us. And we just sort of have always just gone with it. And I think it helps that we have three people, three people who are like-minded and have each other. So I sort of feel like we're, we're in our own world. Like we're not looking a lot for outside advice. Three opinions is already enough. And you know, we've got that odd number for the tiebreaker and we just kind of do it and plow forward. We don't take a poll about every, you know, decision that we make. What an amazing situation to be in to realize that you don't need that to, that qualification um, to justify your success. Because other artists I'd imagine, having spoken to a lot throughout my life, would find it rather confusing to be having enormous amounts of success and be questioned. And have people right. saying to you, are you sure? It's like, yeah, we were sure last time, we're sure this time. Or... Even worse, and you've talked about this before, the success is questioned. Well, you know, the band formerly known as Dixie Chicks, see, hustled it in there nicely. <laughs> um, you know, back when you were that, like, oh, they're super successful, but yeah, we don't count that. Like, what? Like, what do you count? <laughs> Right. That's conf that's a confusing situation, I think, for most artists to be in. And for you to be in a situation where it strengthens your resolve is incredible. Who's been your number one fan? Who's been the person who's been constant? I mean, it could be individual or it could be together as, as a band. Who's been the person who's been there and who's who's enabled you to continue to hold that strength? Who's never wavered? Your parents, Natalie. Oh, that's <laughs> saying my parents are awesome. And our um, manager, Simon, was amazing. He's now retired, so he, he did quit on us, so I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> right, you broke him. That's it. He's done. He was like, I can't go another round. I can't yeah. do it. It's funny. You'd think that our par parents would always be that support system, but we had to look to Natalie's parents on many occasions for that wow. undying support, you know, just there all the time. Cause I, not to, my mom's not going to be watching this cause I, I think she can barely text or email, but, um, <laughs> but she like, it was so hard to talk to her, whether it was the Bush controversy or anything we're going through. I think it's just really hard for her to read it and have just a purely mom love response. Why do you think that was? I think it started with, she She was a school teacher and then she owned her own lighting store, lighting business. And I remember she just said, look, I do not hang on the front of my store what religion I am, what political party I vote for, you know, whatever. She's of that era and that mindset that you don't get too personal if you want to be successful in business. So yes, it did hurt our business in one way, to be outspoken. It does probably every day, but it also 
enhances our business success. Of course. To to have an identity. And we're artists. We're not lighting store owners. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yet. Take another 14-year break. No one can guarantee that's not going to happen. I tell you what, with all the lights, with all the lights I've got going right now, I look like I run a lighting store. (laughs) (laughs) We're all making the most of it at home these days. You know what I mean? We've all got our little tricks. At one point, their mom said I needed a good spanking. (laughs) And Natalie's like, "Uh, yeah. (laughs) Let me ask you, Emily and Marty, let me ask you, when Natalie showed up, and I know that Natalie, you've always been like this from what I've read and from the interviews I've read and the testimonials that you've always been someone who's unafraid and stands up for what you believe in and tries to walk walk with a moral compass that is resolute. Um, You know, when Natalie showed up, you recognize the talent and how great this is going to be for your music. But how did you, Emily and Marty, feel about the strength of personality? And was it something you felt you'd been missing? at the time when it first happened. I just remember the first gig we were getting ready for after Natalie joined, and it was a small club in Texas. You know, not not much was at stake, but at the same time, it was, I my heart was beating a million miles a minute. Like, will she remember the lyrics? Will we get through this show? What will the fans, the, fa- the fan think? <laughs> <laughs> Good one. God and, bless Bobby. He's been with you from was, the start. She was just like, she went out there. And she was just, she was, she had her, her big bangs and she was just going to, she took over the stage and I was just like, okay, we're going to be okay. So her confidence is, uh, I don't know, contagious and it's been since day one, you know, I had a big giant art pad. Because I had to learn 22, I think it was 22 or 24 songs in a week. <laughs> yeah. So wow. I lived at Emily's house at the time, and I just lived 24-7 with those 22 songs playing on my Walkman. <laughs> Did it feel like your eight-mile moment? Did it feel like, I, I can't screw this up? No. <laughs> she wasn't worried at all. <laughs> she wasn't worried at all? Wow, no. Natalie. All, everything they say is true. Everything they already, say is true. I had already hit the big time. It got me yeah, out yeah. of Lubbock, Texas. I got to drop out of college. I bought my, I bought a Honda Accord. Thank you very much. <laughs> but I it was yours. <laughs> paid rent on an apartment. I mean, as far as I was concerned, I'd already made it. <laughs> I was good. <laughs> I love it. But there's something about manifestation and destiny and all of that. And if you know it and you feel it and you go on and you do it. But one of the really important parts of the, of the story of the chicks is the fact that somewhere along the line, your dynamic encourages you to rise to the surface and, and stand up for these things that you believe in that other artists would would normally potentially shy away for no lack of wanting to, but because artists are sensitive and it's terrifying. I say enough in my music. I do not need to go out front. I'm just not built for that. And yet you, mm-hmm. in, in Natalie, and subsequently with the force of, of nature that becomes the chicks, you have this, opinion, this ability to do that. Does it catch you off guard as well when you find yourself in these situations a la Bush and everything else? Because it never strikes me like you've, it's a premeditated decision. No, never. And that's a thing too. Like, uh, if, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done if Marty and Emily had been like, you got to take it back. You got to apologize. <laughs> but you did. And I wanted to ask you why you did in the first place, why you felt the need to apologize initially, which you subsequently recanted. Well, I'm just saying at least they they didn't ask me to because then I would have felt like, because I don't know how to not be myself. Like, that's the only thing I know how to do. I'm a horrible actress. <laughs> I'm only good. You know, a lot of actors are like, I'm great at playing other people, but if I have to be myself, 
then I don't know. I'm yeah. the opposite of that. I only yeah. know how to be myself. Um, so I think I was, I think I made that half-assed apology probably because they hadn't <laughs> put pressure on me or asked me to. And I felt like it was the least I could do to just try to show them I'm, I am sorry. Like I, I'm not, I don't think I did anything wrong, but I am sorry that <laughs> my mouth, uh, is affecting your life. Wow. So it's a re- it was a personal decision based on friendship rather as opposed to the statement that you made on the stage. And it's an important distinction. That's a really important distinction. Yeah, I, I, it was a completely uh, hollow, false <laughs> apology. <laughs> well, you are a good actress because it got you three years I of know, goodwill yeah. before you pulled it out. You know what I think it was also? Those tears were real, though. But there was so much pressure on what yeah. the interview was going to be and this and that and it was, she asked the question, you know, and I just think there was a lot of pressure at that time. And you look back, we were so young and we were babies. I know. And I just remember thinking like, because I marched in London against the wall with my wife and we were staunchly anti and it was a hugely sobering moment for us pre-kids because we realized that our march meant nothing. And these leaders that we'd invested in went ahead and did whatever they wanted to do anyway. And uh, it was sobering. And so when you stood up and said that, even though I'm not American, and I didn't feel it with the same intensity that others did. I loved that you had decided to to lay it on the line. And in many respects, I think so did a lot of other artists. And I'm sure you've lost count the amount of artists. And I'm not asking for a roll call here, but just an overall feeling of how it felt over time to be vindicated, at least by other peers in the artistic community. Not the ones who turned their back on you or who caused tension, but the ones who turned around over time and went, thank you. And that must have happened. That doesn't get discussed enough. There's a lot of discussion about F-U-T-K, but there's not enough discussion about those people that supported you, right? Probably not. And yeah, those people were so important right in the beginning when you're getting inundated with bad news <laughs> or, you know, I yeah. wouldn't even want to know because we we were overseas for like three weeks still after the controversy uh, started. And I remember, I can't remember what country we were in, but I got this beautiful, I think it was flowers. It was like this lovely card and said, you know, love Rosie. And my mother-in-law's name was Rosie. And I was like, wow, like, sh- man, <laughs> she tracked me down. <laughs> Hang on, wait flowers. a minute. That's the kindest gesture of the year by a mother-in-law. So and the winner is. <laughs> but it was Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I was thinking that is like an amazing person to do that. I'm going to be that kind of person. When I see somebody yeah. going through something and even if I don't know them, I'm going to write them a card, send them something. Want to know how many times I've done that? <laughs> zero. I don't want to guess. I don't want to Double guess. zero. <laughs> wow. At least you're honest about it. That's very noble of you, Natalie. If we stick around long enough, she'll make a half-assed apology that'll last 30 minutes and then she'll recant it. I'd like to apologize right now yeah, to... Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Who's yeah, gone right. something? Yeah, right. <laughs> It's time now for us to, to, to talk in more detail now about this album, to begin the journey around this album, which is, I mean, it's such an incredible body of work. I cannot tell you as a fan enough how happy I am to listen to this record and also how heartbreaking I find myself feeling in listening to this album. And not necessarily because I'm feeling your pain, because it brings back mine. So it's the ultimate gift in that regard. But to get to that place where the music is as honest as it is, you've got to find a willing partner. You've got to find some. We don't have to you do it yourselves, but that's going to be intense. And you settled on a, you know, a, a brilliant young creative called Jack Antonoff. So why? What were the qualities in Jack 
that made you trust him so quickly with these stories that each of you have experienced in your lives, but are so heartbreakingly told. Have you met Jack before? Unfortunately, yes. I don't like the guy. (laughs) He's very easy to like and feel comfortable with right off the bat. But I get that. And I'm not trying to, obviously he's a wonderful human, but there's, there's hanging out with someone in a bar or whatever and going, I like this guy or I like this girl. I'll, I'll be friends with him. It's another thing to feel that sense of openness in a room with an acoustic guitar, knowing that you are charting new territory in the moment as well. Right. It is different. And we had written with a couple of other people before we got to Jack. Um, And of course, everyone is nice and lovely to work with. We should try to figure out what it is um, about Jack. One thing I really liked is that, you know, a lot of people um, are fans of ours. But I think a lot of times in the industry, it's more who we are and probably our politics and so they're fans, but they couldn't like name a bunch of songs. Probably they like your house. They like coming <laughs> around to your house. <laughs> right. They like the idea of us. <laughs> right. That's um, interesting. And yeah, and Jack really knew his stuff. Like he mm-hmm. truly knew our music, and you know, and he's just so open and so verbal and <laughs> vocal, and just had just excitement and enthusiasm, but also. Yeah really seemed to have a, a sense of where all we could go. He also didn't limit us, like a, a lot of times too. People have their idea of who you are, but most times with us, it doesn't match up. Like some of the stuff we would start writing would start sounding like what we call bro country. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Jack just really got that we can sound like us playing anything because, you know, a fiddle and a banjo and three-part harmony <laughs> is uh, nothing you can turn into something else, you know, but you can For sure. bring those things to songs that would not be what people think of as an automatic fit. Wow, th- this is that this is that what a time to be alive moment because this is one of those moments where the intersection between influence and influenced right. perfectly meets because th- th- these artists that you've influenced are now ultimately influencing you because they've taken music in this space into new territory. Taylor Swift being an obvious example of someone who absolutely mm. reveres and loves the chicks but has found a space for pop music for all of that songwriting to exist in and I guess in a weird way to some degree consciously or subconsciously influenced you, hence the crossroads. And I think Jack, having worked with so many female artists, that didn't really play into anything, but it's evidence of the fact that he's able to be in that world and it's just the way we communicate. Other people can't understand it because there's a lot that goes unsaid. But I think partially because he grew up with two sisters and he's just used to being around women and how women communicate, it just seemed very seamless seamless to me. I mean, just put aside his amazing musical talent and he could play anything under the sun, uh, pull out any idea and put it down right away, which is so inspiring when you're in the studio. And he's a very confident person as well. Like he didn't hold back around us. And so we loved that right away. We always like, (laughs) if you can make a crack or make a joke about one of us, then we're going to be friends. (laughs) What's his, for sure. Now he's a a piss taker of the highest order. That's why I love him. And we give it right back and he can take it. Hang on a second. Hang on a minute. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hello? 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 Yeah. Can I, I can't hear you, but I can smell you. 
I can, people there? I can <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, the chicks are here, bro. The chicks are here. Hi, Jack. Hi. What are you guys talking about? You. I thought that Marty would be, you know, she would speak kindly of you, but as it turns out, she doesn't think much ah. of you, bro. I hate to break it. <laughs> Marty's been roasting me more than... Um, <laughs> And he, like, I thought Natalie would be, I always knew Emily was on my side. I thought Natalie would be giving me a lot of crap. But my dad said that in an article, Marty said that, like, she didn't know if I was, like, out of touch or ironic or something like that. <laughs> well, let me ask her right now, whilst you can't hear it, which one is it, Marty? Is it out of touch or is it ironic? Well, I was only, I was only talking about his fashion sense. And, and we all know how he dresses. Just talking about your fashion sense, I just want to say this. None of, none, of, none of these three people you're speaking to should come for me because I have so much dirt on all of them. Good. So we're going to catch up with you on Monday. Next Monday, return of Jack yeah. Antonoff. We're going to do like a nice little, we're going to do like a recurring show. You can be like a resident on my show. Uh, spill, the, spill the chicks. It's called Spill the Chicks. Spill the chicks. Yeah. Just roast the chicks. It's a podcast about. Spill the chicks. Just, yeah, all the dirt. The sound of this record is, um, is such a modern sound and yet it retains so much of the, of the authenticity and the real sort of the, the comforting soul that the chicks can bring to their music. Um, what was the inspiration behind that? As producer, why did you sort of encourage them to move in this space or were you encouraged to move in that space or was it both? When we got in the room, there was so much that they were all listening to and showing me and, and they were loving. And a lot of it was really, really modern, like stuff that had just come out. And so, you know, it wasn't quick, but it was somewhat of a seamless process of just like starting to understand the language of like, oh, like, okay, you like this kind of sound and this kind of sound. And then, and then being able to sew a line where it's like, all right, here's the authentic version to the chick's version of that sound. You know, we're not going to have, let's say, like 808s on the album, but, it was, but there was a lot of conversation about low end and, you know, them liking a lot of the modern low end. So it's like the chick's version of that is like we got so much out of that, out of like even like low dobro stuff that um, Emily was playing. Like we would actually make that sound like sort of like a buzzy moog or something. So it was a really interesting idea of like f figuring out what they were into understanding their sound it's crazy because you know in the first three seconds of sleep at night when the fill just leads into the drums it does have that sense of like like it feels almost like a loop like if it has that vibe that instant vintage real weightiness that came from like digging in the crates or something it's i don't know you've just nailed it you guys you've all nailed it well that's that's i mean one thing i'll say about sleep at night and and just to show you how delicate that balance was so getting those drums right so that's a combination mm -hmm. of teddy geiger's drums natalie's son beckett playing live me playing live, and then the brilliant Chad Smith playing live. So you have so that one thing that you hear on Sleep at Night that, which which just feels kind of like a really cool marching drum. But it, it took all these different drummers and programs all put together to feel sort of authentic and modern all at once. All right, Jack, I got one more question right here. Um, just any, meeny, miny, mo this, or quickly rattle off each of their funniest, almost distinctive traits in the studio. You got the dirt. Now's the time oh. to spill a little tea. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I would say everything happens after six o'clock because that's when the wine drinking starts. <laughs> right. Good. I like that. So, you know, it's like, you know, the whole day we're working and then come around six o'clock, like everything gets like real loose and weird. Um, I would say, uh, I, I will say this. I do think one way to loosen up a room and make a great work is to uh, let yourself take the fall. And there were many, many times where I let the three of them just make fun of me for hours. <laughs> <laughs> that is not true. You have an under, a deep understanding of that dynamic and you obviously speak the unique language that relates to the female spirit because you grew up with sisters and so, you know, you're able to take that beating. 
<laughs> yes, very, very happy to take it. And uh, important, important uh, to put yourself in a room with uh, actual geniuses, which they are, because then when you get the beating, you, yeah. you, it makes you better. It's worth it. Hey, Jack, hey, you're a good man. Love you, Jack. Thanks for stopping by. And everyone's Love thrilled. you, Jack. Love you. Um, oh. Love you. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs> what a sweetheart. Um, Kauai is is one of my special places, and I've been lucky enough to spend a you know a few a few times. I've been out there, and some um, the spirit of that place is is remarkable. And it's it's on one hand up there in terms of the amount of oxygen and energy you get in that place. It's just so incredibly replenishing. Um, I couldn't think of a better place to go out there and connect to some of the the harder side of this of this album, the harder stuff to have to get out. Was that where a lot of that came from? Did you lean into Kauai as a safe space? Well, I have a house on Kauai, and so it is definitely my safe space. I wish I was there during all of this quarantine. That would be heaven. Um, mm. But we only, I mean, we only got to be there for three weeks, but it was three amazing weeks. And um, there's three songs in particular on the album that I would say we consider that we wrote in Kauai, and that was uh, Hope It's Something Good, My Best Friend's Weddings, and... Set Me Free. Set Me Free. Set Me, Set me free. free. So can I just say that, yes, there's the answer to that question yet, because those are three very, very honest and heartbreaking songs. Yeah, and there's ukulele on the two ballads, and the, you can also hear, like, if you were listening with headphones, you can hear birds or a rooster uh, maybe some ocean waves. So yeah, those to me, those are the Kauai songs, even though we worked on Tights on My Boat there and we worked on other songs there. What's amazing about the record is that as, as a child of divorce, and I know each of you have had the challenge of going through this. In, in my parents' life when I was a kid, it was, you know, it entirely set the stall for me in a lot of ways in terms of how I matured, how fast I matured. And I watched my mother in particular go through this process. Um, mm -hmm. The anger, the frustration, the confusion, the grieving, the acceptance, and ultimately the space to move forward. And to me, it feels like the album flows like that. It feels like there is a sense start to finish of a, almost a therapeutic concept to this. It just listening to it, that's what I connected to as a person. And I don't know if there's a question in there, but if it strikes a chord with you, any of you, I'd love to hear was, your take on that. I was thinking that. about that today. Like what people say, you know, is this a divorce album or a breakup album and how many emotions you go through during that process. You know, one day sure. you're angry, one day you're uh, sad and you cry. And then the next day you're horny. You're <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or drunk and feeling fucking awesome. So it's like, so, so even though it's a breakup, somewhat of a breakup album, you, you kind of touch on all aspects of emotion. You know, and so it makes some for some really fun songs as well as that song. Definitely. What song was the hardest to get just right, given that so many of these songs strike about such a perfect balance of the personal and the universal? We've talked about March March being one of the hardest ones to finish. It went through many different iterations. And when you're writing a song about something from like a perspective on the world, I think it's even more critical that you get it right. It was a heavy subject and it needed to have the appropriate heavy track. So we we were willing to put in the time and headspace to get that one just right. Yeah. And that's one of those songs that will change shape over time too. 
Because the original inspiration behind it, of course, it can be applied now in so many different ways because to march for something is to believe in something. And you have your own specific inspiration behind that song, but you got to let it go at some point, right? You got to let other people apply it. Um, what do you, what are you hoping people are using that song for right now? What's really close to your heart that you would love that song to represent right now? I mean, I think everything in the video, you know, um, black, black lives matter and women's rights and equal pay and, um, native Americans and LGBTQ and gun, gun control, all of it. Um, but I think, so I think that's what's cool about the song is it's not so much about all the causes. I mean, the video is, and we definitely sing about certain things in the verses, but it's really about the the listener and the person, whatever it is that you're passionate about and that's important to you, you have that power to be an army of one, stick to your guns, you know, do what you believe uh, is right in your heart, unless you believe racism <laughs> is in your heart. Don't, don't follow your heart on that one. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of songs back to back that make up to me like a mini suite, which is the songs which you've written ultimately in reference to being parents, Juliana Calm Down and Young Man. And and I think it's really important that, that we get two very distinctive perspectives, right, um, from, from two different uh, reactions to watching a family go through challenges and what the long-term impact of that has. And I wanted to t ask about the writing of those songs, um, in particular, Juliana, because, you know, obviously it references your children or at least, the, you know, your daughters. Um, and I, I just wonder like how that song was to, to work on and, and tell us a story about making that song. Cause it's a very powerful moment. Well, Marty had to go back to Austin early, after, um, from this one, um, week. So Emily and I were still in the studio with Jack and he had pulled out a couple of things he had started with Julia Michaels that he thought we would like. And so he uh, played Emily and I, Julia, Calm Down. And it had, I think, two verses and a bridge and a chorus. And I was just like... Oh my God, this is our song. This is our song. We're, we're doing this song. <laughs> Julia Michaels has a habit of doing that to people, by the I way. Know. She's a machine. She's so She's amazing. Brilliant. And so I came home and wrote two bridges and wrote another verse and then added their daughter's names and all of our nieces' names and and we were uh, yeah yeah oh my god that's awesome, and Jack's like yeah well, you know we gotta ask we gotta make sure it's okay with her and I was like, uh, <laughs> 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 it has got to be it's mine. <laughs> there there is no no happening here and we recorded wow. it right we recorded the whole thing before we ever even got we her even permission. asked her. <laughs> Ask forgiveness later. No, but the really good news with Julia Michaels is that she wor she ultimately you know, worships at the at the altar of the song and of the music and gets entirely out of the way in that experience. So obviously recognizing that it was it was your song. Well, you know, initially when Jack, so Jack did call her, text her, and ask, and I do remember her initial uh, response was, "Oh, well, yeah, they can have." What did she say? They can have. They can the, have the verses. They can have the verses and the bridges, but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep that chorus. And I was like, no, 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 you're not, you can't. 
And so I really felt like if she just heard what we did with it, because I just really felt like it was ours. To- She'll get it. I, well, it's tough. You know, you fall in love with something like that. But it was like a child to her. Cause she, so, yeah, she's a, such a, she's awesome. a prolific songwriter and writes a million more songs than we do and, you know, gives hands them out to other people. And... So I and so when she came over and listened to our version, she did say it was like, you know, it was like giving up a child or something. She was like, like, this is awesome. You have made But you were in the room, this. right? When you played it to her. Yeah. Oh my God. That is just the worst. <laughs> that is the worst. That what is she the gonna worst. Say? Like proposing on the Jumbotron. Oh my god. <laughs> You're literally sitting there staring at her like this. <laughs> you like it? You hear that it's you like ours? It? You hear that what it's ours? What do you ours? think? You like it? I love it. Amazing. I have to talk about young man. Um, it's one. It's one thing to, to to deal with your own emotions and loss. The breakup of a relationship that you thought would last forever is rough. It's another thing to have to factor in the impact that that has on people that you love more than that relationship, the people that you love unconditionally more than anything else in the world, and to try to write a song that ultimately strengthens. Your, your children's resolve, and especially in young, and I have to, I have to say this, especially in young men w- over issues to do with fatherhood, very complicated, very complicated. And so writing that song, I think was an absolute triumph. I think you've absolutely captured it beautifully. And I wondered how hard that was for you or what that experience was like, because I know that you're really beautifully navigating this, but this is an emotional song and I think it needs a moment. Yeah. <laughs> Who was going to go first? <laughs> Well, it's about your boys, but maybe you're too emotional to talk about. I was going to say that Marty and I watched our parents get divorced as well. And watching my mom just crumble. I was the last one in the house. And I wanted her to be strong, stronger than she was. And I was too young to understand that she needed that time to not be that strong. But to have the sentiment to come back and say, listen, you might see me in a certain way, but you have to understand that it's not a foregone conclusion that it's going to happen to you or these things are going to be a part of your life. So that feeling as a kid, I understand it. And now that I've been through a divorce and we've all been through divorces, that was on my mind. Like, I want to save my kid, my kids, my boys, my girls from feeling that feeling that they have to be the adult in the room. Yeah, For me, I mean, I want, you know, that song took a long time. I feel like that was one of the last songs we wrote because I knew I wanted to write a song to the boys, but it was, it was tricky how you're going to do that. And I keep wiping my eye, but I promise I'm not crying. (laughs) I almost am. So let it go, man. I'm I'm there. My eyes just running. Um, So what I wanted to convey was with a lot of talk with my therapist was kids can be like, oh, I'm 50% of my mom. I'm 50% of my dad. And then when you don't uh, like a certain part of one of your parents, you think that that's a part of you. So that's what that's about. I love that song. I wish I'd had that song. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I'd had that song (laughs) when I was coming through. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we were all supposed to be touring. Everyone was supposed to be on the road. It was all supposed to be happening. Were you excited by that prospect? Were you excited by the idea of going back out? Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. It's hard. 
And my boys, they're both musicians, amazing musicians, and are in. They both have their own bands, and they were going to open the tour. It was going to be a really awesome summer. <laughs> it will be. It will be again. I spoke to Kamasi Washington the other day. He's one of my favorite people. Period. And um, I said to him, "Are you feeling hopeful?" And he said, "It's going to be a great harvest." And I love the way he put that. That's that cool. Once we've planted the crops and watered them, and actually been patient enough to watch them grow and protect them from the crows and all the other birds that are trying to pick at them and stop them from growing to protect them, it will be a great harvest. And I, I think they can apply that across everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been great to see you. And I wish you all the best with the album. You know, the hard work is done. The music is phenomenal. It will touch so many people in so many different ways. And I respect your privacy on issues to do with the songs, but uh, I'm grateful that you shared as much as you did in the music. That is all we can ask for. So thank you so much and, uh, and all the best until next time. Have a good time. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, there it is. My first ever long form conversation with the chicks around their new album called Gaslighter, everything that went into it, fighting for equal rights, America, family, country music, all the touchstones were there. But what I was really happy about was that the conversation was good, humored and friendly and fun at the same time. So I hope you enjoyed it, got everything and more out of it. And uh, make sure you subscribe right here to the Zane Lowe interview series, me being Zane Lowe, you being you, and we'd love to connect weekly without having to think about it. There's another conversation coming very soon. Take care.